you care about. The Patriots are now closer to the bottom of the AFC than the top. That's a fact. The stories that matter to you. Trevor Story, man, he makes the Red Sox much, much better in 2022. This is your home for New England sports. I I'm just wondering what happens next for UVM. Because I think there could be a lot of turnover on that roster. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV-AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome back. Brady Farkas Show on a Monday right here on WDEV-AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Full show, all 90 minutes available to us. No Red Sox baseball tonight. The Reeling Sox get ready for the Angels to come to town tomorrow. We'll have every game for you of that series as always, but today, a full 90 minutes. We're going to change up the plan a little bit. You heard on the teases throughout the day, we we're supposed to have Chad Forbes, NFL Draft Insider, on. Chad will join us at another point. Rami Makloff is going to stop by instead. He's going to be with us in 15 minutes. Rami is a radio host at 1250 The Fan in Milwaukee. He'll give us his take on the Bucks and their 12-point win on the Celtics yesterday in Game 1 of the second round of the Eastern Conference playoffs. You can get in on the Napa-Morrisville, Napa-Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026. You are locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and Morrisville. You can also chime in on Facebook Live, YouTube Live, and on my Twitter account as well. Let's waste no time, everybody, and let go. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we the opening thoughts in the Brady Farkas Show are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber. Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sticksandstuff.com. NFL draft is in the books for this year. The Patriots made 10 selections in all in this weekend's draft. And the Pats draft class has been largely graded poorly by prognosticators all over the draft sphere. A lot of experts say the Patriots reached on guys. They took a guy who had off-field issues. Most people have not liked the Patriots draft. I have never lied to you about this fact. I do not claim to be a draft expert. I do not claim to be a college football expert. So I'm not going to go through every pick the Patriots made in detail because, honestly, I'm as clueless about some of the picks as you are. But I do have what I believe are real takeaways from this draft from the Patriots' perspective. Okay, I'm not going to lie to you. I, I didn't watch Pierre Strong Jr. play at the FCS level. So I can't tell you why he's going to work or why he's not going to work. But what the Patriots did in the draft leaves us clues about a lot of other things. And you don't need to know every individual player in order to read the tea leaves as I have done this weekend. So let's go through some of our takeaways from the draft. Guys, I've missed it. Can we get the football music, please? Oh, there it is. Okay, perfect. Now I'm in the football mood. The first thing I look at when it comes to a draft is did you take the right positions? We'll eventually be able to quibble about the guys themselves and who was left on the board and if guys end up being bust. We will be able to do that later. But for today, for the day, the first show after the draft, I just wonder, did you take the right position?
positions. And largely, I think the Patriots did draft at the right positions. They had a lot of needs, and they took at least mostly guys who project to fill those needs. I actually have to be pretty happy with the Patriots' process here. They took three players on the offensive line. That was a need. Trent Brown and Isaiah Wynn have health concerns at tackle. Wynn is in the final year of his rookie contract. You've lost Ted Karras in free agency. You lost Joe Tooney in the past couple of years in free agency. You traded Shaq Mason. So the line is always a need, but it was definitely a need for you this year. And the Patriots took three players on the offensive line, which at least represents an understanding of where your overall roster is. They get Cole Strange out of Chattanooga in the first round. They get uh, Chasen Hines out of LSU in the sixth. They get Andrew Stuber, a tackle out of Michigan, in the seventh. So again, 30% of your draft was spent on the offensive line. It certainly is a need for you. I'm at least happy that you recognized it was a need and you went out and tried to fill it. They also took two defensive backs. They took Marcus Jones out of Houston. They took Jack Jones out of Arizona State. It was another position of need. So right away, five of the ten picks make sense at least positionally. This team's next Super Bowl roster doesn't have Malcolm Butler and Terrence Mitchell on it. I can promise you that. You get two guys at a position that you need. Marcus Jones out of Houston is a guy in particular who I'm very intrigued by. We'll talk to you about him off the top of the 6 o'clock hour. Then you get a wide receiver in Tyquan Thornton. That's another position of need. They took it. Look, we asked them, take a receiver in the top two rounds. They did it getting Thornton in the second. We asked them to get speed, which Thornton brings in spades. Is one. After moving on second down, that's caught by Thornton and has a seam. Thornton inside the 40. It's a foot race. No chance. Touchdown, Baylor. We will eventually see if the Patriots took the wrong players. Their judgment day will come on this draft class. But I always look right after the fact, did you at least take the positions that you needed? And largely, the Patriots did that. I have to be happy at least with the thought process. They needed speed, they got speed. They needed playmakers, they got guys we think they can be playmakers. They got a receiver, check. DBs, check. Offensive linemen, they got multiple of. That's check as well. They got speed. They got some explosiveness. They got some guys that at the very least excite you. Takeaway number two from the draft. The thing that was maybe the most notable, the Patriots did not draft one single linebacker. Not one. And they've only signed one in the undrafted free agent period as well. We talk about taking positions of need. They did that, but they neglected to take a position they needed really, really badly, and that was linebacker. They need numbers there. They need speed there. We had the Patriots maybe taking a linebacker in the first round, and they didn't take one, period. That was the one area you really looked quizzically at and how they did not address it. That one shocked me, too. I think the answer probably, it better at least, the answer better lie 
in that the Patriots think they already have internal options that we don't know a lot about. Remember, we heard a lot about Josh Uche in the 2020 season. He played a lot in that kind of lost COVID year. He didn't play a whole lot in 2020. Does he take a jump? How about Anthony Jennings, a guy we didn't see at all last year? Cam McGrone, a draft pick last year out of Michigan, didn't play last season. Ronnie Perkins of Oklahoma, a draft pick, mid-round draft pick last year. He also didn't play. So that's four internal options that the Patriots have that we haven't seen a lot of. Maybe Belichick and company think they function as kind of additional draft capital for them. It puts a huge onus on the development portion of your organization, but it is certainly possible, at least, that some of these guys take major leaps. But it was definitely eye-popping to see the Patriots completely ignore the linebacker position. Takeaway number three from the draft for the Patriots. I think there's going to be some turnover in the running back room, both in the short term and in the long term. Here's what I mean. I was surprised to see the Patriots take two running backs in this draft, including Pierre Strong Jr. in the fourth round. They get this kid Harris out of South Carolina in the sixth. The Patriots, with them, currently have six running backs for 2022. That's a lot of running backs. I think there's a few things at play here. One, we don't know what James White's health is going to be like. Strong, Pierre Strong Jr. is a guy who profiles as a strong pass catcher who can run. If White is unable to bounce back after that hip surgery, Strong is a guy who can step in and maybe play that James White role. It's good insurance against White not being ready to go this year or not being himself. He's another guy who is very fast as Pierre Strong Jr. He gives the Patriots more speed, which is which is exactly what we asked for. Now deep in their own end. Got to get something going. Trying to do it on the ground. Pierre Strong bounces off a couple, and he is gone. All the way for Pierre Strong. Again, if James White is not available, Pierre Strong can come in and take his spot. Heck, even if James White is good to go this year, he's on the wrong side of 30. He's only got a one-year deal in New England, so maybe Pierre Strong is a guy that you redshirt and he comes back in place in 2023 with White likely no longer there. Number two, I also think it's quite possible that J.J. Taylor is gone. He really hasn't gotten much of a chance in New England. He fumbled last year against Tampa, and we never really saw him again. So I wonder what his future is like. You replace a low-cost running back in Taylor whose contract is closer to being up. Maybe you filter in one of these guys, and Taylor gets the boot out. And number three, I think maybe most notably, is that I think the Patriots are looking to move on from Damian Harris after this season. Harris has been very good for New England. He's provided a lot of value, but he's headed into the final year of his contract. I don't think the Patriots want to pay him a high rate here. We know how the analytic and, and capologist people feel about paying running backs. They don't want to do it. You look at running backs that have gotten paid like Ezekiel Elliott. They've depreciated. Chris Carson, a more of a mid-level guy. He may never play again for the Seahawks. 
second contracts for running backs are very risky business, and you've got to spend a lot of that money elsewhere. I think the Patriots are going to let Harris go in the offseason. So you keep him for this year, and then you let him go get his money somewhere else, and now you've got two running backs in the fold that can potentially replace White and replace Harris, and you're going to run in 2023 with these two guys, Ramondre Stevenson, and whatever else you find next year. I think it's very likely that Damian Harris is not in Foxborough beyond this year. Why did the Patriots take two running backs? They're planning for the future. A future without James White and a future without Damian Harris. At least that's how I see it. Peter and Williston, Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury, text line. Six running backs for the Pats. What are they trying to do? Be like the Ravens at this point? I, like I said, I think they're preparing for the future. And I think it's a future without Harris and without White and maybe without J.J. Taylor. You're going to have, I think, this year, I would say that Taylor is probably out. And maybe Harris, this Harris from South Carolina does not make the team. I would say that is possible. If you're going to keep everybody, maybe one guy goes to the practice squad and then Damian Harris is gone next year. Number four, my final takeaway from the draft. I think Jared Stidham is on his way out of New England as well. The Patriots selected Western Kentucky quarterback Bailey Zappi in the fourth round. A little surprising considering the Pats already have Mac Jones, but Belichick is kind of always made a habit of taking quarterbacks. Even in the Tom Brady era, Rohan Davey, Kevin O'Connell, Matt Castle, he drafted all these guys. So I don't think it's a big deal that the Pats took a quarterback. But Stidham is headed into the final year of his rookie contract. He's never really gotten any shot at playing time with the exception of the few months between Brady being gone and Cam Newton being signed, and he wasn't able to run with that. Brian Hoyer is more of a resource than a player at this point, but he's important for Mac Jones as a sounding board. So Hoyer is going to be on the team at age 36. Mac, Hoyer, and this kid Zappy from Western Kentucky. I think that's your quarterback room in 2022, and I think Stidham gets the boot. By the way, Zappy can play a bit. We don't want him to have to play because you want Mac Jones to play, but he did break FBS records last year. Most passing yards of the season, nearly 6,000. He had 62 passing touchdowns last year, so he certainly got some game. He's got questions about arm strength, but I think his selection solidifies that Jared Stidham is gone. Can they trade him for a seventh round pick next year? I doubt it, but I think barring injury, Stidham is gone from this roster. So we're going to get more to the Patriots draft class. You're going to hear from some of the guys they selected later in the show as well, but that's kind of my take on what the Pats did in the draft. You don't have to be a college football expert or a draft expert to at least extrapolate some takeaways from what they did. They took the right positions by and large, with the exception of linebacker, which was a glaring omission. I think the two running backs solidify they are planning for a future without James White and without Damian Harris. And the quarterback selection there of Bailey Zappi of Western Kentucky, I think that means that Jared Stidham is going to be gone as well. I'll tell you which Pat's draft prospect excites me the most 
at about 6.05. Again, you'll hear from some of the uh, draft experts and some of the guys that the Pats took in the 6 o'clock hour as well. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Let's move over to the NBA. Celtics beaten by the Bucks yesterday on the TD Garden floor, 101-89. to They trailed the best of seven now, one game to none. Why did Giannis and company, how did Giannis and company come into Boston and take game one? We'll go to Milwaukee next. Rami Makloff, the radio host in Milwaukee, he gives us his skinny on the Bucks. That's next on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. We'll get back into the NFL draft stuff in the 6 o'clock hour. Right now I want to go to the Celtics. Celtics lose yesterday to the Bucks, 101-89 to for a... Reaction to that one, let's go out to Milwaukee and find ourselves radio host Rami Makloff from 1250, the fan in Milwaukee. Bucks with that one nothing series lead. Rami, how are you? Good, man. How are you, Brady? Good. Appreciate you being with us. Bucks beat the Celtics by 12 yesterday. What stood out to you most from the Bucks side in yesterday's win? Just how dominate, how, how, how they dominated the paint on, on both sides of the floor. And there was really nothing that, that Boston could do about it. They, they did do a pretty good job of keeping Giannis away from the hoop and, and, and limiting him in terms of his efficiency. It's weird to say when a guy gets out of a game <laughs> with 30 plus points and a triple double that they actually deed him up pretty, they deed up Giannis pretty good, but especially on the defensive end, the Celtics just couldn't get any points in the paint with the Bucks just being the bigger, stronger, more physical team. And I saw Jalen Brown after the game say the team that, that wanted it more and came in there with a little bit, a little bit more energy and a little bit more killer instinct. And, and I think that was, that was what you saw. I think the Bucks are the better team, but I think the reason why the game looked so dominant is because they also had that edge of just a team that went out there and was more tenacious and wanted it that much more. We kept hearing after the game yesterday about the Bucks' physicality, how the Celtics weren't necessarily ready for it. They weren't necessarily prepared for it. The Bucks went very, 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 very big, and yeah. they gave the Celtics kind of a taste of their own medicine. Is that a, differenti- a differentiation for the Bucks? Is that a style they usually play, or is this something new, this kind of big lineup without Chris Middleton? Well, when, when Middleton went down in the middle of the Bulls series after game two, a lot of people thought it would be Grayson Allen who went into the starting lineup to, to replace him, but they went with Bobby Portis instead. He was the starter for games three, four, and five. And I think they, they liked what they saw in that formation and liked that they could, they could take over the paint essentially on both sides of the floor and, and keep the Bulls out of there. And I think they, they figured let's, let's throw this at Boston and let's see, let's see how they react to it. And we saw how they reacted to it yesterday. And I don't know that a lot of teams are going to have a lot of answers for a trio of Giannis, Brooke Lopez, and Bobby Portis in the paint. I mean, between what those three guys can do, both with the ball in their hands and on the defensive side of things, that's 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 a tough test for, for anybody. And I, I just I didn't see the size and the strength in Boston last night that a lot of people were talking about coming into this series. How much has Giannis's overall offensive profile expanded? I mean, we had two years in a row where the Celtics played the Bucks in the playoffs, and at the time, you could just sag off Giannis and dare him to shoot jumpers. Yep. That still may be the only chance that you have, but it's far less effective than it used to be. I mean, he's hitting Luca-esque one-footed fadeaways yesterday yep. from the free throw line. How much has he grown? 
it's still your best bet. It's still your best bet to let him have that jump shot more times than not. Because if he gets in the paint, he's just going to dunk on your face. Yeah. And that's not going to feel good. And it's two points <laughs> anyway. So your best shot is to just try and hold him to that mid-range jumper, the three-point shot. But like you said, his game, his shot has improved greatly there. A lot of teams would just hack him, you know, like like they used to do to Shaq back in the yep. day. Shot 72% from the from the free throw line this year, and I think 76 plus percent from from December from December on. So that part of his game improved, and really, Brady, the part of his game that has improved the most, and you saw this a couple of times yesterday, is his court awareness and his yeah. basketball IQ. And if you throw a wall of three, four big bodies at him to keep him out of the paint, and he doesn't like the shot that he has, he has a lot of good three point shooters around him, and he knows where they are, and he knows how to get the ball to them using his freakishly long arms and, and seemingly eyes in the back of his head. That's that's the part of his game that's that's improved greatly, where in the past the Raptors were very successful in throwing a wall at him, and he kind of panicked and didn't know what to do with it. The Heat were successful at it, and I think he's, he's sort of starting to crack the code, and it's going to be hard for any team in the NBA to, to really slow down or stop that guy using those tactics that they used before. Rami Makhlouf, radio host, 1250 The Fan in Milwaukee with us here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. You know, here in New England, we thrive on negativity. That's just what New England sports radio <laughs> is. We thrive on negativity. And, you know, so Kyrie Irving, that was like catnip to us talking about oh, yeah. Kyrie for the mm-hmm. last couple of weeks. And I think Kyrie is great for the NBA in that he's this great villain. What is it like to cover Maybe the most likable superstar in recent memory in Giannis. I mean, there's no negativity at all around this guy. How do you even do a show with that level with all that optimism around? It really is. It really. I mean, he. Yeah. Unlike Aaron Rodgers, he doesn't create a lot of content <laughs> <laughs> off the court where there's something to debate about something this guy said or something this guy did. Everything he says and everything he does seems to be the right thing on and off the court. He really is. I mean. And, 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 you know, who, who knows what's to come down the road? There have been superstars in the past where it seems like there's just nothing wrong with them. And then you find out later they, they're human. They have flaws, you know, like, like, like most of us. But to this point, he really does seem like, like the perfect superstar, like not even NBA superstar, like pro, pro athlete. He seems like the, the perfect yep. guy to root for and just gives you, he gives you nothing to hate or to disagree with or to go, why would he say that? Why would he do that? He seems to just – all he wants to do is play basketball and, like, hang out with his kids and his wife. That's that's all the dude wants, and it's, it's remarkable. How critical is Drew Holiday to what this team does? Because yesterday he was really good offensively, and he's certainly the guy that I undersold going into game one. I undersold him when he came to Milwaukee. I didn't know. I hadn't seen enough of Drew Holiday, but, man – and and there's another guy who in in year two with the Bucks, despite being you know in his entering his 30s, better than he was year one with the Bucks, as he finds his comfort zone and figures out his role and his place and things more, and especially on the offensive side of the court, his usage went way up on on the off, offensive side of the court. Sometimes that was by necessity because they were dealing with injuries. Chris Middleton, who's out now, missed a stretch earlier in the season. Giannis would miss games here and there, and they had problems with their their wings coming off the bench in terms of keeping them healthy. But his usage went way up on the offensive side of the floor, and you just see that guy, That that's he's just a guy who knows the sport of basketball. And then on the defensive side of things, 
He's just a crazy person, Brady. He's, yeah. he's just he's just a psycho <laughs> when it comes to the defense, and he's he's pulling all the tricks out his bag to to stop some of the best scorers and ball handlers in the league. There was a great piece by uh, Eric Name of the Athletic where he actually broke down defense defensive tape with Drew Holiday and was going through some of the things that he does and also describing to him some of the drills that he does and workouts that he does to make sure he's strong enough to body these guys up and take the physicality and the bumps and the back downs that they try and throw at him. And he just seems to be ready for anything, man. I saw, I don't, I can't, I wish I could remember who to attribute this quote to, but I saw a quote a few weeks ago that said, he's like the Kevin Durant of the, or the Steph Curry of defense. Like what those guys are with the ball in their hands. He is that on the defensive side of the floor and you've seen it. And these playoffs, I know you guys got Marcus Smart, and he won Defensive Player of the Year, and I'm not going to say he didn't deserve it, but the, the fact that Drew Holiday doesn't have a Defensive Player of the Year to this point in his career is honestly ridiculous. Watching that guy play, play day in and day out, I have a hard time believing there are very many better defensive players in this league than Drew Holiday. As discouraging as yesterday was from a Boston fan perspective, it is still just one game. I do expect the Celtics to come out, adjust, regroup, hit more shots than they did yesterday, take more twos than they took yesterday, which was like 28 twos compared to 53s or something. What concerns you most about the Celtics moving forward? I just know that Brown and Tatum are going to shoot the basketball better. Honestly, that's that's the only thing about this team that 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 sort of scares me or I know I know is lurking and, and will be different and better for, for the Celtics moving forward in the series. Those two guys, as good as the Bucks defense is, are not going to shoot the basketball the way that they shot the basketball. Yes, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but they're going to be better shooters than, than what we've seen or that than what we saw in that in that one game there. You're not going to hold those guys the way that the Bucks did yesterday. Outside of that, Brady, honestly and not I, I, I respect the Celtics team. I think that they, they present probably the best challenge that the Bucks will face in the playoffs. In case you haven't picked up on it, I got the Bucks winning the championship <laughs> this year. <laughs> but I think, I think that the Celtics are probably the toughest test that the Bucks might face on their way to a repeat championship this year. But as far as the way that the Bucks dominated the paint yesterday, and 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 the way that they were able to score throughout throughout that game yesterday, I don't think that changes. I don't know what Boston throws at the Bucks to change very much of that because that's very much by design. You know, they they went big in terms of the bodies they were throwing out there, but Mike Budenholzer's defenses since he's gotten here by design, we're going to give you the three, we're going to take away the paint, and it's going to be on you to hit enough threes. To make up for the advantage that we're going to have scoring in the paint because we have Giannis and Brooke and, and Bobby Portis. So that's, that's the formula and that's, that's by design. And I think that formula and that design works here against the Celtics unless they just shoot off the charts from the three point line. I don't think they can do enough of that to make up for the advantage the Bucks have in the paint. Rami Makloff, 1250 to fan in Milwaukee, out in Wisconsin. Bucks one nothing lead. We'll do game two from Boston again tomorrow night. Rami, appreciate you. We'll right. talk again soon. Should I brace myself for what's coming from Celtics Nation at Rami is tweeting for my analysis uh, there? Okay. No, I think you're good. We're, 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 the venom right now is on the Patriots draft and okay, not on good. you. All right. 
Good to know. All right. Thanks. Appreciate it. Rami, we'll talk soon. Anytime, man. Thank you. But yeah, thank you as well. Right up against the clock, I got plenty to react to about the Celtics and Bucks and Rami's conversation that's next on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Parker Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas show here on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Show brought to you in part by Pro Driver Training. That's Pro Driver Training, Vermont's premier truck driver training school online at ProDriverCDL.com. They can help you with your Class A CDL, Class B CDL, passenger and advanced skills training as well, book work, and then real-life application of that book work and what you learn. So that's ProDriverCDL.com. Thanks to Rami Makloff from 1250 The Fan in Milwaukee who just stopped by and didn't, you know, we took it right up to the edge there on the clock and the news updates, so we didn't get a chance to really to react to what Rami had to say. It's great stuff from Rami there, but I dislike his stance. Obviously, he thinks really the Bucks are essentially going to roll through this series, but he was not wrong in a lot of what he said. I was, I, I was amazed yesterday at what Drew Holiday did. I really did undersell Drew Holiday. I didn't think that he was going to be enough of a factor offensively for Milwaukee. We know about the defense. We know he's great defensively. But I really thought with Middleton out, they weren't going to have enough aside from Giannis to beat the Celtics defense. And there was Drew Holiday, who was strong off the dribble, hit some mid-range shots, hit some threes. I mean, he had 25 points yesterday. Drew Holiday had more points than Giannis. I believe he was 40% from the floor. And we talk about Jason Tatum being now a great two-way player for the Celtics. Well, Holiday is a guy that we that, that at least I wasn't remembering being a great two-way player. We know about him as a great defensive player. He has the ability on given nights to be good offensively. But yesterday, he was great. Hit some big shots, hit some big shots early to keep the Bucks in the game, and hit some shots late as well. I mean, so, and it wasn't just him, but Holiday was a guy that I, that I undersold his impact. I said Celtics were going to win in six. They still obviously mathematically can, but it's certainly going to be difficult at this point. I thought with Middleton out, I thought the Bucks were in a lot of trouble against that Celtics defense. But Holiday was great, and other guys were great as well. I mean, um, you know, Rami talked about Giannis's court awareness, and he did show that off yesterday. He had a triple-double. He had more than 10 assists yesterday. Ime Odoka, after the game, spoke about the Celtics kind of when they would double Giannis, Giannis would just be a willing passer and kick out. And yeah, I mean, Bobby Portis and Grayson Allen and Pat Connaughton, they were 7 of 17 from 3 yesterday. So, combined, rather. So, Giannis kicks out, these guys hit shots, and that's it. I don't know what the Celtics' plan for Game 2 is. Maybe the Celtics will just look at it like, we're going to play Giannis one-on-one. And he can go for 47 if he wants to, but we're not allowing other guys to beat us. Yesterday, they helped on Giannis a lot. Giannis kicked, and other guys hit. So either, if you're Ime Udoka and company, you're just trusting that if you help, these guys are going to miss shots in Game 2. You're just trusting that. Or, you're going to just let Giannis play one-on-one, 
Let him carve you up, but make it difficult. You know, try to make it a physical struggle for him. Let him go for 40, and then not let other guys get open. I will be interested in what Ime Udoka does. Game two is coming up tomorrow night. Again, the full interview with Rami Makhlouf. Talking Celtics Bucks already, I'm told, available on our podcast show channel on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and WDEVradio.com. Let's get back into the draft here for the Patriots. The Patriots' pick that intrigues me most is Marcus Jones, the defensive back out of the University of Houston. Again, 10 days, or 10 picks, rather, over the course of three days for the Pats. The guy who stands out to me most is Marcus Jones. Pats took him in the third round. He's a defensive back, but he also played return man for the Cougars, and they put him on offense at times last year as well. Let's hear what our friend Phil Perry, Pat's insider at NBC Sports Boston, let's hear what he had to say about the Pat's selection of Marcus Jones. If you wanted playmaking on the defensive side of the ball, you got it. In the Paul Horning Award winner last season as the most versatile player in college football. He stands just 5'8", 175 pounds, but he is a missile coming downhill as a tackler, and he has tremendous ball skills in the secondary. He also appears to have enough athleticism to potentially be able to help track those two speedy, undersized receivers that now reside in Miami. That's why the grade for this pick has to be an A-. minus. A-, minus. that was the highest grade that Phil gave any Patriots pick, I believe. So he liked it as well. And I think there's really good reason. When Phil says, hey, he's got the ability to, to, to play make on the defensive side of the ball. He also said tremendous ball skills. That's really big for this team because you just lost a guy. You just lost in back-to-back, you know, in, in a four-month period, you lost Stephon Gilmore, who had elite ball skills, and you lost J.C. Jackson, who had elite ball skills as well. You've lost multiple elite playmakers out of your secondary in, you know, the span of, again, about four months. You've got to be able to replace that somewhere. I'm not saying Marcus Jones is going to come in and be J.C. Jackson right away, but with Jackson gone, you're talking about anywhere between five and eight interceptions every year going away. If Marcus Jones can recoup some of that even, that would be massive. Also, if he can keep up with some of the speedy wide receivers that you're going to see in your division, Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddell, namely, and then in your conference like Jamar Chase, then that's huge, too. The Patriots need guys that can cover the modern-day NFL wide receiver, and they need guys that can be a part of a modern-day NFL defense. The Patriots last year were old. They were slow. They were run off the field at the end of the year. They cannot afford to be run off the field anymore in 2022. They've got to be able to take back some of the power and get athletic and get quicker. And Marcus Jones helps you do that. Does he need to guard Tyreek Hill one-on-one? No. But for all the burners that you're going to see on your schedule, you've got to have somebody that can run with him. And Marcus Jones appeared to be that guy as well. That's defensively. Two, he also can aid you in the return game. That also is going to be huge as well. This team in recent years has lost Cordero Patterson, an elite return man. They've lost Gunnar Olszewski, who was also a, a league-recognized return man. 
They need playmaking ability in that section of the game as well. Anytime you can win yardage in special teams or suppress yardage on your defensive side of special teams, that is a huge game breaker for you. And we know how much Bill Belichick values special teams. They've always had somebody exciting in the return game for as long as I can remember, whether it's Edelman or Amendola or Patterson or Gunner. Now you get Jabril Peppers in there. You get Marcus Jones in there. There's a chance they can regain some of that as well. And I certainly don't think that Marcus Jones is going to be a two-way player for the Patriots. But again, they put him on offense at Houston. He had 10 catches last year for 109 yards, had more than 10 yards per reception, and had a touchdown. It's not a huge offensive sample size, but it just shows a level of athleticism that the Patriots haven't had here in recent years. He's explosive. He's fast. He's good enough to be able to do two things on your team, three things on your team when you talk about the return game, athletic, coachable, explosive, eager to learn. It sounds like he has a lot of the traits that would make you excited. Here's Matt Groh, kind of Patriots personnel guru on Marcus Jones. And Marcus has done uh, even more, you could say, since he's he's been on both sides of the ball. Uh, you know, primarily a corner, um, you know, inside, outside, uh, to, you know, with, even with his playmaking ability, trying to get the ball in his hands. Uh, you know, you're talking about a, a team in Houston, um, that's, you know, been Coach Holkerson's had, had really good teams there and been able to put up a lot of points. And, and this guy was dynamic enough that they take one of their best players on defense and put them on offense. And then they put them back there on punt returns. The NFL draft is all about hope. It's all about hoping for your guys to hit, for the best version of guys to come out. And Marcus Jones is the guy that most gives me hope. Hope that an older and slow defense can improve. Hope that you can minimize to some degree the loss of J.C. Jackson and his takeaway ability. Hope is what Marcus Jones gives me. This is the draft pick I'm most excited about. I don't know if he'll be the best of the Patriots' 10 picks. But again, the draft is all about hope. It's all about excitement. It's all about just allowing yourself to daydream of what could be. And Marcus Jones is the guy who gives me the strongest emotion towards any pick. I like a lot of the Patriots picks, but Marcus Jones is the guy I think has a chance to be a real impact player. He spoke about what the Patriots are getting in him. It was definitely a dream come true to just be in a situation to where uh, to be able to be in a that, that certain percentage of being in the NFL. So that was definitely a surreal moment. And I was actually here with my parents and everything. I had a lot of family down. So just spending this opportunity with my parents and seeing this is definitely a dream come true. I think we got one more, guys, for Marcus Jones. Let's play that one. Um, I would definitely describe it as a competitive guy. Definitely want to make sure his football IQ is high. But that just comes with um, the competitive nature that I definitely like to uh, play by. I'm next play mentality type of person. Um, the main thing that I always pride myself is uh, is in controlling what I can't control, so controlling the controllables. So that's definitely getting in with the coaching staff and my position coach and watching film, watching with my teammates. I love that. I love that. That is a very Patriots answer, isn't it, by the way? We always hear the phrase, do your job, 
when it comes to the Patriots. Don't worry about doing someone else's job. Worry about your job. That's basically exactly what Jones just said there. When he says control the controllables, he's talking about controlling about all that only he can control. That attitude is going to fit well in New England. Can't worry about what the offense is doing. Can't worry about what your pass rush is doing. Can't worry about what your quarterback is doing. Can't worry about the weather. Can't worry about the fans. Can't worry about the officials. All you can do is control what you can control. That is something that Bill Belichick is going to like and is going to respect. I I learned that at too old an age in baseball for that to make a huge difference for me in my own playing career. I wish I had realized that early on in my life. I spent so much time in baseball worrying about all the other stuff and it just consumes you to the point where you become this kind of ball of negativity life becomes much easier if you just let go of everything you can't control like i think about it in baseball now okay look look at what i have i have no control over the weather i have no control over the mound i have no control over the field conditions no control over the hop that the ball took no control over whether the infielder caught it dropped it threw it over the first baseman's head i can't control that i made a great pitch and the batter stuck his bat out and hit it i can't control the baseball is scuffed up i can't control any of that all I can control is my attitude, my effort, and I don't even control my performance to a large degree. I just can control my attitude and my effort. And the Patriots live by that kind of mantra. Do your job. Don't do someone else's job. Don't worry about what other people's jobs are. Do your job. Do your assignment. And Marcus Jones is telling you right off the bat that one of the tenants that he lives by is that tenant. So that is something that Bill Belichick is going to love, appreciate, and is going to eat up. I also, lastly, closing thought here on Marcus Jones, I talk about why he's the guy that excites me the most of all the Patriots draft picks. I like to a degree, he played at two schools. He spent two years at Troy and two years at Houston. He's already had to come into a new environment, pick up something quickly, learn and adjust on the fly. He's done this before. So maybe going into the NFL now, he could pick up things relatively quickly in New England. It's all about hope. And of all the Patriots' picks, Marcus Jones, defensive back, third round, University of Houston, this is the guy that I am the most excited for. When we move into training camp, when we head into preseason games four and a half months from now, four months from now in August, early August, I'm going to be looking at this Patriots draft class we'll be talking about before week one of the preseason. Who are we most excited to watch? Marcus Jones is going to be that guy. How are they going to deploy him? Imagine they'll put him at DB. Of course, that's his position. Do they put him outside? Do they put him in the slot? We'll want to see. I also think they'll put him at return man. He's good with the ball in his hands. And the Pats haven't had an athlete like that in a bit, especially a defensive athlete. Marcus Jones, this is the guy that I'm the most excited about from the Patriots class. All right, every time we have a full show, we do this. Who's saying what? This one, this one's a doozy. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? Mac Jones. Good Lord. Mel Kuyper's got to slow down on this. Mac Jones ain't going to work, folks. It's not going to work. He's got to come to terms with it. It's not going to work. They really said that? Every damn thing is politics and race, and I'm losing 
my mind over it. It's time for Who's Saying What on The Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Who's Saying What is brought to you by Vermont Laser Wash. That central Vermont's home of unlimited car washes begins at just $20 a month. If you want, so the, again, the, the $20 a month package, that's, you can get car wash every single day. If you want just one free car wash, well, just text the word Vermont to the number 30 and then 400. So, not everyone nationally, most people nationally, did not love the Patriots draft. Well, it wasn't just nationally, it was also regionally. Here's Mike Felger, 98.5 The Sports Hub in Boston, who just shredded Bill Belichick this weekend. And I feel Bill has lost some command. And I don't mean like power necessarily, but just, again, the master puppeteer, the guy in charge of the chessboard, the guy who's one step ahead, he's playing chess, everyone else is playing checkers. And I'm worried that he's lost that. I feel he has lost some of that. And if he's drafting and jumping a player way too early, that's another indication that he's lost the overall decision-making that he once had. And that's where I feel we are. I I have to admit, Felger lost me a little bit in his rant there. But the bottom line is this. He does not trust Bill Belichick anymore. Mike Felger does not trust Bill Belichick anymore. He no longer has full confidence in Belichick. My question is, Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026. Do you, do you trust Bill Belichick at this point? Let me know, because Felger doesn't. And while we've always questioned some of Belichick's moves, while we always second-guess everything that coaches and executives do, I've never heard it quite so pointed as what Felger said right there. He does not trust Bill Belichick. Do you? For me, the question is very layered. I trust Bill Belichick the coach a lot. I, re- I I think that Bill Belichick can still come up with a game plan, even if he's got subpar talent on his roster. I think he's very capable of making life very difficult for opposing teams and for opposing quarterbacks. I think back to that Monday night game. Remember the Monday night game in the COVID year? Patriots at Chiefs. Cam Newton didn't play because he had tested positive for COVID. Brian Hoyer had to start that game, and it was like Six to three Chiefs at the half, and and Belichick was just giving hell to Patrick Mahomes. I think that Bill Belichick can still do that. He made life awful for Justin Herbert two consecutive seasons. He's still got that in him. I trust Bill Belichick to coach almost unequivocally on game day. There, If there's a game plan to be had, Bill Belichick will find it, he will work it, and he will work it to the best of his talent's ability in his team's talents, abilities. The thing that has me worried about Belichick is the following. Has he not evolved enough when it comes to the ways that current NFL rosters are built? We've talked a lot about this over the last few months. Do you need to be willing in today's NFL to take those shots? Is Bill Belichick now too conservative in the way that he builds his Patriots roster. I think always, for eternity, in a salary cap league, 
that drafting and developing is always going to be the biggest hallmark in roster building that you have. I don't think that's going to change, but you look around now, teams are taking chances they didn't used to take. Do you now have to be willing to do that? Because Bill Belichick has not been willing to do that. The Rams have taken shots. The Chiefs have taken shots. The Bucks have taken shots. Teams are loading up like never before. And are you willing to do that? I wonder about that. Belichick is all about drafting and developing and nickel and diming and signing this guy and signing that guy. You have to be able to do all of that. But do you also now have to take that shot that other teams are taking? It worries me that Bill Belichick does not appear willing to take those kind of shots. And secondly, this is the one that really worries me. I wonder if Bill Belichick really has anyone there to challenge him. In the last few years... Josh McDaniels and Nick Casario have left town. I think those are two guys that could get Belichick's ear. Brian Flores has left town as well. I wonder now how much it really is about Belichick just controlling everything. We've always known that he had the final say, but I just wonder now if he's even got anybody around him who can really question him. I don't have a whole lot of faith that Joe Judge and Matt Patricia are those guys because those guys owe Bill Belichick their second chances. You tend not to go after guys who you're indebted to. So I don't not trust Bill Belichick. That's too strong. But I wonder if he's got too much power and if those around him are not willing to push back. I think even the best leader, the best boss, the best coach... You need a collective of minds. And I don't know that Bill Belichick really has a collective right now. It's too strong by Felger to basically say he doesn't trust Belichick at all. I think it is fair to wonder if there's too much power in one guy. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Red Sox lose two out of three to the Orioles, and with every loss and with every dip in the standings, we are getting closer to the possibility of a Xander Bogarts trade. I don't want it to happen, but there certainly is a path to make it a reality. I'll tell you what that is. That's next on WDEV AM and FM. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Jazz with George Thomas is coming up at 7 o'clock, and George will take you until 9, and then it's Eye on the World with John Batchelor. Red Sox are off tonight. They're going to open up three-game series with the Angels, who will come to town tomorrow. We'll have the coverage for you at 6-10. Angels have been playing very well this year. They were beaten today by the White Sox. Still in cease, I believe. They threw a shutout, the White Sox. They three nothing was the final in that one. But again, the Angels come in light years ahead of the Red Sox at this point. And we're getting to a point with the Red Sox where I would not say that it's likely. I don't want to go way and over-dramatize this. I would not say it's likely, but I can at least now see a scenario 
where the Red Sox could trade Xander Bogarts this season. And I want the Red Sox to fight like hell to play the level of baseball they're capable of so we don't ever have to entertain this discussion again beyond today. But if things get really bad, we are in a spot where Xander Bogarts, I believe, could get traded. Not likely, but possible. The Red Sox are 9-14 and right now. They're a half game ahead of the Orioles for fourth place in the American League East. I want them to turn it around to kind of avoid all possibility of this discussion, but let's kind of look at a really interesting angle here. I'm going to play a clip from Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic, and then I'm going to kind of backtrack and explain what it all means, really. So let's get let's hear Rosenthal talking about uh, Bogarts. This all hinges on an agreement between the league and union by July 25th on an international draft. If there is no agreement, there's still a qualifying offer system, he would get slapped by the Red Sox with a QO. I would be really surprised if it got so dire for the Red Sox that they would entertain trading Xander Bogarts. All right, let's backtrack here and kind of discuss what happens. Let's get... I'm going to try not to go way too inside baseball, but let's give you the crux of what happens here. Here's what happens. When you are a team and you are you have a stud player that is entering free agency, okay, and I don't know how exactly they qualify stud, but Xander Bogarts is a stud. You can issue a player what is called a qualifying offer. So... Basically, what's likely to happen, as it stands right now under the current rules, Xander Bogarts will opt out of his contract. He will become a free agent. The Red Sox would offer him a qualifying offer. And a qualifying offer is a one-year deal at a predetermined, decent salary. This year, I think it was like $18 million. So we'll call it 20 So they'd offer Bogarts a one-year, $20 million contract. And if Bogarts turns that down, which is certainly likely, the Red Sox then would get back a compensation pick from the new team that Bogarts signs for. It's a way to protect you from losing a guy for nothing. It's a way to protect you from selling off an asset before you need to so as not to lose him for nothing. It's there to keep you... You know, keeping good players around. That's kind of what it's there for. So, Xander Bogarts would get offered a qualifying offer. He'd turn it down. But at least the Red Sox would then get a draft pick from the new team. That's how it works right now. What Ken Rosenthal is telling you is that through the through the labor mess that we had this offseason, one of the things Major League Baseball wants is an international draft. International players put into a draft as opposed to the wild, wild west system that we have right now where there's all the backroom handshake deals, etc. So we have until July 25th to come to an agreement on that. If baseball and the players agree to an international draft, then the qualifying offer system goes away. And what that would mean is that if the Red Sox held on to Xander Bogarts and then lose him at the end of the season, there would be no qualifying offer, therefore there would be no compensatory draft pick, and therefore the Red Sox would in fact lose Xander Bogarts for truly nothing. So if On July 25th, 
we come to a situation where the Red Sox are out of it and where the draft has been accepted and the qualifying offer goes away, well, now you're looking at it like, well, the Red Sox, are they're, they're going to trade Bogarts. They'll have six days to do it before the trade deadline, but they're, they're going to trade Xander Bogarts is what that means. So you better hope that the Red Sox figure this thing out enough to the point where they at least want to keep Bogarts through this season. Because if they're out of it and the qualifying offer goes away, he's definitely gone. If they're out of it and the qualifying offer is still a possibility, then he still might be gone. The quickest way to avoid all this is just start playing better baseball. Again, I don't want to go way down the rabbit hole on particulars here. But you play better baseball, the concerns go away if you can get back into the playoff race. But if you're out of it, Bogarts might be gone no matter what. But he's really gone if the qualifying offer goes away. This has been ugly for the Red Sox. That that Saturday night game, that was as dejecting a way to lose a game as I can remember. Like, I've seen a lot of things in baseball, right? Like, I've seen two outs, nobody on in the ninth, and you walk a couple guys and then give up a three-run homer and you lose. That's horrible. But this one, you fail to score against the Orioles in the top of the tenth inning. Then you intentionally walk a guy to the bottom half of the inning. So you got two on, nobody out, and the pitch has not been thrown yet. And then it's an awful bunt, and Sawamura throws it into left field, and the game ends. No hits in the inning, you lose. That's Saturday. Then yesterday, you get gut punched with a two and a half hour rain delay, and you lose nine to five when it was nine to one in the ninth. This is ugly right now. You look at it, but guys, can we pull up the standings right now? The Red Sox have one of the worst records in all of baseball right now. The Red Sox have a better winning percentage right now only than Baltimore. Kansas City, Detroit, Texas, uh, okay, so four teams in the National League, Washington, the Pirates, no, I'm sorry, not the Pirates, Washington, the Reds, the Reds are the worst, they're 3-19, and 19, my goodness, uh, and that's it. So the Red Sox right now, I believe, are the eighth worst team in baseball. There are some others right in their neighborhood, but like... This is not acceptable for a team that went to the ALCS a year ago. Let's get to one other juicy piece of Major League Baseball news. I think the Red Sox should make a run at Robinson Cano. Before you laugh at me, I think the Red Sox should make a run at Robinson Cano. Cano was designated for assignment today by the Mets. He played in 12 games this year. He's hitting 195. He has a homer, but... Really, essentially almost has no power left as he hits almost 40 years old. But I'd make a run at Cano. I mean, what do you really have to lose? You'd essentially owe him no money. You'd pay him the prorated league minimum. The Mets would pick up the rest of the tab. So money is not the issue. You've been bringing in guys like Rob Refsnyder and Franchi Cordero for help. If you're going to bring in Rob Refsnyder to the roster, you can try an eight-time All-Star in Robinson Cano. You're getting absolutely nothing out of first base. That's where I'd put Cano. You know, DH if Martinez is in the lineup. I'd be willing to bring Cano in. Can you put him in the eighth spot in the lineup and at least get a professional at bat? 
from the bottom of the order? Because right now you're having a hard time even doing that. I mean, what's the risk? The only risk I would say is that, oh, you know, platooning Dahlbeck, you're, you're hurting him and his development. You're already doing that by having Franchi Cordero there. So it's not about, you're not not doing this to protect Bobby Dahlbeck's psyche and his development. You're doing it. You're already doing it. I'd absolutely try Robinson Cano. You're not on the hook for anything money-wise. I'd be more than willing to give him a look. I mean, you've got guys who pick up off waivers playing, like, the next day for the Red Sox. This guy they got from San Francisco the other day on Friday or so who's in the lineup right away. I mean, I mean you know, Jalen Davis. Like, Jalen Davis is playing fresh off the bench. And shout out to him, by the way. He went two for four yesterday. But, like, fresh off the waiver wire, Jalen Davis can play for this team and start in left field. Why can't Robinson Cano get a look? I, I know that he's close to done, but he's still got a sweet swing, a good eye, and he just might be able to... Sur- and I, I was reading John Tomasi of NBC Sports Boston today that most of his hits have come to left field this year. If he could just pepper the wall opposite field, fine. Fine. He could play first base. He could platoon him with Dahlbeck. He could DH at times if Martinez is going to be in and out of the lineup. He could probably provide you a little pop still, but at least a professional at bat. And that is what the Red Sox need at the bottom of their order because they've got none, they've got nothing right now coming from the bottom of their order. I mean, you know, Jackie Bradley's struggling, Christian Vasquez is struggling. You know, it's just the offense as a whole has not been that great. I'd absolutely try Robinson Cano, no doubt. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, we come back. Patriots draft is in the books. We'll tell you what some of their draft picks said and what some of the experts said about those picks. You'll hear the sound. That's next on WDEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Ready Farkas Show here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Patriots make 10 picks in this past weekend's NFL draft. They take three offensive linemen. They get two DBs. They get two two running backs. Let's see, that's seven. Wide receiver Tyquan Thornton makes eight. They get a quarterback in Bailey Zappi. That is nine. And the tenth one will come to be, oh, a defensive tackle. They take uh, Sam Roberts as well. So there you go. There's your ten Patriots picks. Let's hear a little bit from them and about them. Uh, let's go to Bailey Zappi first. This is the quarterback, record-setting quarterback out of Western Kentucky. Patriots get him in the fourth round. He talked about working with Mac Jones. You know, he's a phenomenal quarterback. He's a great QB. Um, you know, as the rest of the QBs in that room. You know, I'm really looking forward to learning from all three of those guys and getting up there and meeting them and, you know, doing as much as I can to help the team. And, you know, I'm just really excited for this opportunity. Yeah, it's absolutely the right thing to say publicly. I don't think Jared Stidham is going to be there. Now, he may learn from Stidham as part of mini camp, and he may learn from him as far as OTAs, but and even in training camp. But I don't think there's any way that Jared Stidham is on this roster, barring injury. The Patriots quarterback room next year, again, assuming health, is going to be Mac Jones, Brian Hoyer, and Bailey Zappi. That's the room. Jared Stidham's not going to be there. Now, he may get cut. He may get traded. 
I'm not sure if anybody else will really want to give up anything for Stidham, but Stidham's not going to be there. So it's the right thing for Zappi to say, especially on day one, but you know, we just know that Stidham's not going to be there. Zappi is a guy who, he's been compared to Nick Mullins. Remember Nick Mullins? He's played for uh, San Francisco for a lot of years. I think he's 5-11 and 11 in his career as a starter. He started a game for Cleveland last year where they had both Baker Mayfield and Case Keenum out with COVID, and they lost that game right down at the, the buzzer on a field goal, or maybe it was even in overtime uh, late in the year, a game the Browns really needed to have. But So Zappi's been compared to Nick Mullins, a gamer, a guy who's tough, a guy who can win you a game with a pinch, but probably a career-long backup. Here's Phil Perry of NBC Sports Boston on the selection. Zappi measures in at just a shade over six feet, and he has real arm strength concerns, according to league evaluators. But coaches love his competitiveness, his accuracy, and his ability to make good decisions in real time. He projects for most as a long-term backup, but with real talent still remaining on the board along both the offensive and defensive lines, with this pick, it's hard to go with anything higher than a C. Yeah, so Phil is saying that they passed up on guys to get Zappi, and that, and that that's fair, right? Like, fourth round seemed a little high for a quarterback, but if you're really going to get a guy that you think might be a backup for you for several years, then that probably is about right. Remember, the Patriots didn't have a fifth round. By the time it all shook out, the Patriots didn't pick in the fifth round either. So you certainly weren't going to be able to wait, I don't think, until the sixth round to get a guy. I mean, look, Bailey Zappi's a guy we hope that we don't see. Fair enough, right? We, we hope we don't see him. Looks like he's got good traits. Looks like he's coachable. Looks like he is at least interesting. Um, I have no problem with the selection, but again, I hope that we don't end up seeing him play. Tyquan Thornton, this is the guy the Patriots took in the second round, the speedy wide receiver out of Baylor. Is what? After we'll gain a second down, it's caught by Thornton and has a seam. Thornton inside the 40. It's a foot race. No chance. Touchdown, Baylor. Thornton talked about what he brings to the Pats. Getting the phone call from New England Patriots, I mean, it was a dream come true. You know, um, just seeing my family, you know, smiles and everybody cheering, you know. I mean, my heart was racing. You know, it was a feeling that I never felt before. Um, I was um, willing to learn the game and always um, coming in day in and day out to um, get better and put in work. So that's what I bring to the New England Patriots, just um, bringing a lot of excitement. Um, I'm ready to, you know, learn and work with the coaches and the players too as well. Yeah, Thornton said he's excited to play for and learn from Bill Belichick. Oh, man, I, I love him already, man. Yeah, he's a big process guy. That's all we spoke about at Baylor, you know, staying true to the process. And um, I'm very excited to get to work with him, you know, and come in every day and, um, you know, learn my job. I'm ready to learn. And I'm ready to um, compete and learn with the coaches. Tyquan Thornton is a guy who's incredibly fast. We talked about getting the Patriots a wide receiver who is a burner. Tyquan Thornton is a burner. But Phil Perry did not like this pick. He ran a 4-2-8-40 at this year's combine, one of the fastest players in the draft class across positions. He is thin at six foot two, 181 pounds, and he has small hands that measure just eight and a quarter inches. Also still on the board when the Patriots selected were Cincinnati receiver Alec Pierce, Georgia receiver George Pickens, and Western Michigan receiver Sky Moore, all thought to be more highly touted players in this year's class. For those reasons, the grade here has to be a D. This is going to be, I think, the defining pick of this draft 
for the Patriots. I think this is the defining pick. We don't have to love they took Cole Strange in the first round, but we at least think that Cole Strange is going to be a good player. Maybe they took him early, but he's going to be a good player is the general consensus. Tyquan Thornton is the guy who is, appears to be the true definition of boom or of bust. And this, I think, this pick is really where... This is the pick that's going to swing the entire grade of the Patriots draft in a couple of years. If Tyquan Thornton hits, then this draft, I think, has a huge propensity to be an all-around win. He's fast. He's vertical. He gives Mac Jones that track athlete that he's been lacking. You look right now, and the Patriots with Tyquan Thornton, again, if he's good, this receiver room has the ability to beat you at every level. Thornton can go deep with real explosiveness. Aguilar can go deep, not quite as explosive, but a good deep threat as well. Bourne and Myers underneath an intermediate, they can be good there. Parker is a guy intermediate and tough catch radius red zone. Now the Patriots have a receiver room that can beat you at every level. If Tyquan Thornton hits, that's what he provides. I don't need Tyquan Thornton to have 85 catches. Not right now, I don't. If he has 30 catches, but they're big play variety, I'm okay with that, at least for now. At least with this group. And then, you know, hey, uh, Aguilar's in the last year of his deal. Myers in the last year of his deal. If they leave and Thornton can kind of assert himself into a top three receiver next year, then maybe we start getting into the 50-75 catch ability. But if next year he comes in and is just a home run threat every time he's on the field, then I will take that. But if he busts in the way that Nikhil Harry busted, and by the way, the Patriots did not pick up the fifth-year option on Harry. We knew that was coming, but it's official today. If he busts in the way that Harry busted and the guys that Phil Perry says we're still on the board, we're still on the board, it's going to be another failure of the Belichick regime. The Tyquan Thornton pick, a lot of this draft hinges on that pick. They took a receiver, check. They got a receiver with speed, check. But if he doesn't hit, well, then you really are looking at a failure. I hope that it does, though. I think we all hope that it does. Again, I don't need 85 catches next year. If he catches 30, 35 balls, but they are all of the home run variety, then I'm going to be okay with it. Because for next year, at least, you got five wideouts, beat you at every level, two tight ends, some creativity there maybe for John U. Smith. I think there's chances for the Patriots offense to be better coming out of this draft than it was going in. Here's Matt Groh, Patriots personnel guru, on kind of their overall theme in this draft. Uh, really excited, you know, to, ha- to have two picks here tonight and add speed and add speed to really, uh, you know, all three phases of the team. Um, you know, Typhon on offense and then Marcus on, uh, on defense and special team, on, uh, defense and special teams. And, you know, we'll see what, uh, what Tycon can, uh, contribute on fourth down as well. On fourth down. I don't know what exactly that means. Maybe does that mean special teams also putting him back there as a kick returner or as rather a punt returner as well? I think that's probably what Matt Groh was referring to, kind of to be determined there on guys' roles. So, um, good stuff. 
Good stuff. I loved I loved watching the draft. I watched every minute almost of the draft this week. I'm sure. Yeah, I take that. I probably watched five of the seven rounds in full. The other two I just kind of checked in on. I might have watched a little less actual draft day stuff on day three, but I did watch a great portion of the draft. Always love it. Bruins, by the way, they're about not long now from now getting on the ice. They're taking on the uh, Carolina Hurricanes game one of their playoff run. But could it be the last run for Marchand and Bergeron together? Their last great chance at winning a Stanley Cup. Kind of looking, Fluto Shinzawa of the Athletics got some of the line pairings. It looks like the top line forwards, Marchand, Bergeron, and DeBrusque. Uh, Taylor Hall, Howla, and Pasternak on line two. Frederick Coyle and Craig Smith on three. Felino, Nosek, and Laser on four. The top uh, D pairing, Lindholm and McAvoy. And Olmark is the goaltender tonight. We'll have more tomorrow. Tomorrow's only about a 40-minute show, but we'll get back into the NBA as we get ready for Celtics and Bucks in game two of the Eastern Conference second-round playoff series. That'll do it. For me, full show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and always at WDEVradio.com. Jazz with George Thomas is next, and I'll see you tomorrow on the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM.